0: This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen? This day and every day. And this day is a lot like other days that you've had. And you might have, be having an almost groundhog's day. Of this is a, a very similar day. But this is the day that the Lord has made. And the second part is equally true. The call to, we will rejoice in it. We will rejoice in this day. I don't know the circumstances you woke up to today. I don't know the things that are facing you, but that the world out there is wondering if we believe this to be true, that this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice in it. And I don't know about you, church, but but I need that reminder every week, that I need the reminder of, of who is in control of all things, of who has all power and all might. It's so easy to forget when we face the things that we face. And so I need that reminder. And today I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, because in there will be yet another reminder. And so today, for many of you, is a reminder, and for the rest of you, will be an invitation. Before we get there, I want to just welcome you again. My name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministers here, and we are so glad that you are here to worship with us today. If you're new here, especially glad that you are here, hope you Um, have felt right at home with this church family and if you're looking for a place to call home there is always a seat at this table we would love to have you be part of the family of god here and engaging in our mission here we use your gifts and talents for his glory and so if that's you we'd love to talk to you more about that today we're wrapping up what has been a, a pretty short series on the book of hebrews just three weeks and hebrews is a long book and it's specifically it's deep theologically And you could spend a lot of time there, uh, but today we're going to to wrap it up. And if you remember, we've been talking a lot about Jesus. He is our pioneer and perfecter of the faith. He is our author. He is the trailblazer. And we follow after him. And the only reason we can have faith is because of him. The only way we can sustain faith is because of him. And it's all about Jesus. And today's going to be a reminder of who Jesus is. Now, as we dive in here to Hebrews chapter 7... Um, we're going to get a vision of the writer and how the writer of Hebrews views Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. And, and it really starts in, uh, at the end of chapter 6. The, the writer says, Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek in chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, the writer here knows his Bible. And his Old Testament, I should say. And there's lots of examples that that the writer could choose from. Just in a couple chapters in Hebrews chapter 11, they're going to give you the examples of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all these other people. And yet, the writer here decides, let's use Melchizedek. Now, today what I'd like to do is introduce you to Melchizedek and if, or remind some of you of who he is. So let's do a very deep dive on this character, starting in Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to the God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave a tenth of everything. And in the Psalms chapter 110, the writer says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's, a, that's as deep as a dive as you can get in Melchizedek. That's it. Four verses in the entire Old Testament. There's there's entire books of other characters. There's chapters upon chapters, and yet the writer of Hebrews says, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So who is this Melchizedek? Because the writer has already made some claims here about who he is. It's a little bit strange, if I'm being honest, of that this is the example he wants to use. But... What Melchizedek is, is a foreshadowing. It is a, a signpost of what's to come. It's a signpost, a reminder of who Jesus is. See, even in the name Melchizedek means righteousness, and it's king of Salem, and Salem means peace. This is a pointing to the Messianic age, because the Messiah would come in righteousness and peace. This is who the writer is pointing to. Now, biblical writers can do some things with scripture that you and I just are not really allowed to do. And what I mean by that is if I did some of the things in grad school that our biblical writers do, I would have got a bad grade. All that to say, I'm not a biblical writer, okay? I am a subpar writer, is what my professors told me. So, the rabbis of old had had this idea that all truth was found in Torah, that everything that is true is found there. In fact, they would be quoted saying, what is not in the Torah is not in the world. It does not exist. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you is that there is no genealogy of Melchizedek. We don't know his mom and dad. We don't know the day he died. We don't know if anyone came after him, which is to say that he is eternal. He is forever because it's not found in Torah. It's not found in your Bibles. And so he is eternal. He is forever. And you know, sometimes the, the fewer details you have about someone, the better story you can create, right? The, the more you can say about them. The characters we have in history that we know the exact day that they were born, we know the exact day they died, we know everything about their life. I mean, there's, there's little to the imagination, right? But Melchizedek is different. Because we have only four verses Abram has has been in battle, and he's going to the king of Sodom. And out of the mountains, almost out of nowhere, descends the king Melchizedek, the high priest of God. We don't know what happened before. We don't know what happened afterwards. In fact, we could come up with a pretty good movie about that, couldn't we? We could do anything with that story that we want to do. And that's essentially what the Jews, the, the first century Jews and Christians, that's what they do with Melchizedek. Now, growing up, I really, really liked uh, the idea of King Arthur. I, I love, there's some movies about King Arthur. I love the idea of the round table and the knights, and that's just a little different, right? And all, the, I love those stories. There's some movies out there you can see, and until I took a class in college, I needed one more elective, and so I took European history from the year 300 to 1,000, and that should tell you a little bit about how nerdy I am, okay? <laughs> and so... There I was taking this class, and I had to read a book on it. And in there, I found that, you know, there really is no proof to King Arthur that he's really more of lore or a legend. And there are some whispers of someone who might have had that name, but man, the stories about him just took off. And while I believe Melchizedek is true, because it's in the Bible, it's a little bit like that, right? That we we have such few details about him That you could create this story. In fact, that's exactly what has happened. In the first century, they talked about this, this theoretical Melchizedek. Of what he could be like. And what he would be like because he is eternal. And so they came up with these stories about it. So when the writer of Hebrews is writing about this, he's using common language. Like we might talk about King Arthur. That he's writing about something that they talk about. He says, you want to know what Melchizedek is like? I'll tell you what he's like. He's like Jesus. And this is exactly what John does in the Gospel of John. And especially in the Greek world, they talked a lot about the logos, the word. What is the, what is the word like? He was there from the beginning. He's over all things. And so John adopts this language, right, in John chapter 1. In the beginning, it was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The logos became flesh and came down to earth. Let me tell you who the word is. The word is Jesus. Our biblical writers use what's in their culture to tell us a little bit more about what's going on. And so that's what the writer here is doing. And what he's wanting to say is that Jesus is kind of like this thing you know about. But Jesus is better. Jesus is better than you can even imagine. So let's pick up our story in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 7. Just think about how great he was. This is Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites. Even those who are who even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Now imagine for a moment that this is an audience that includes some who were Jews by birth. This is a little bit controversial, right? Because they have their heroes of the faith. We already covered this in Hebrews chapter 11 a couple weeks ago. Their heroes of the faith might include Moses, might include King David, but is definitely going to include the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, the writer's gonna spend a lot of time on Abraham in, Genesis, or in Hebrews chapter 11. This is great, but what he's saying here is, Look, there is one that even Abraham admitted, this person's better than me. This person is beyond me. Again, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Who blesses who? Melchizedek blesses Abram. And then he turns around and he offers him a tithe. He just had all this plunder from these battles won. And he said, here, I'm gonna give a 10th of that to you. Giving shows honor. It also shows trust that this is going to something, I will give of myself to someone else because I trust what they'll do with it. It shows that, that I, I rely on you. And church, that's a little bit why we give, isn't it? That we have this trust, we, we have this honoring, that God has done something in our life and the only way to repay that is to give in all the ways that we know how to give. And that includes with our actual money and our stuff and our time and our talent, and so we give. But the writer here is acknowledging, look, your patriarch, the one that is the greatest, even he says Melchizedek is better. But again, this isn't about Melchizedek. This is about Jesus. Now, Jesus is is going to be called the high priest, the one eternal high priest. But Jesus did not grow up thinking he would be the priest, right? Jesus is from Judah. He's not from Levi. When he's a little boy, if anybody asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? He would have not answered priest, it's not in the cards. You don't get to be a priest, Jesus. And yet, that's who the writer's saying, he is our eternal high priest. That he is without end, just like Melchizedek. There is no end to Jesus, because we know that that tomb is empty. He will be our high priest for all eternity, just like Melchizedek. The story picks up in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he, is all, because he always lives to intercede for them. So growing up there, you would know who the high priest is. In fact, some of them are named in our scriptures. And you might have known who the high priest was before that and the one before that. And the reason you know is because they keep dying and as soon as one dies, you need a new high priest. And you know who they are. And what the writer here is saying is, that doesn't happen anymore. Your high priest is eternal. He does not keep dying. In fact, he continually intercedes for you. So, what does a priest do? Well, a priest is one who stands between you and God. See, you cannot go to God alone. Because you are not perfect. And so you would have a priest that would go and make your sacrifices for you. So you go to the temple, you bring your sacrifice, and they would stand before God for you. This is what a priest does. They would do it multiple times a day on the Temple Mount every day. The evening sacrifice was probably done around 3 p.m. Why do you think your gospel writers tell you what time Jesus died? He dies at the time of the evening sacrifice. He is the one sacrifice for all time. There is no other sacrifice needed. That Hebrews makes very clear. Jesus is your once and for all time sacrifice. And he does it in a way that they knew that that made sense to them. And once a year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And this was a dangerous job because if you go stand before the Lord and you do something wrong, you don't make it out alive. And so on the day of atonement, every year the high priest would go and would offer a sacrifice for all the people. Now, let me ask you this. How often do you need a sacrifice? How how long does that sacrifice take for you? How long is it good for? Because for some people, and some days I'm imagining that maybe it lasts for a week and then you need to return. Maybe it lasts for just that afternoon and then, you know, there's traffic on I-20 and you need to go right back to the temple. (laughs) But Jesus is your eternal high priest. Jesus intercedes on your behalf, not just once, but for all time. It is not needed again. Let's continue, verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is who Jesus is. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. What the writer of Hebrews wants you to picture is that there are are two holy places. There is the place in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, that you can go and make a sacrifice. But what he wants you to also picture is that there is a holy place in heaven. And the high priest would have to offer a sacrifice for himself before he can stand before the Lord. You cannot be, you cannot have sin and stand before the Lord God. He will not, he is, he is holy, he will not be in the place of sin. But Jesus does not need to have a sacrifice for himself. What the writer makes very clear and reminds you of is that Jesus goes and stands before God, not needing a sacrifice, yet bringing one anyways. And he says, this sacrifice is not for me. It's for all of you. It's for us. Jesus goes and he stands before his father in heaven and he says, use me. Use me as the sacrifice. He lived a holy, blameless, pure life and he gave it for you and for me. And the reminder for, the, for us today is that we stand before God paid in full because of Jesus. We stand before God today. We are able to stand before God because of our pioneer, because of the trailblazer of the faith, because of one Jesus who went and he says, we have a high priest who doesn't have to go return year after year, day after day, but he doesn't get sick and die. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't fall down on the job. He doesn't grow tired of us. He doesn't compromise himself by his life or take advantage of us. But he is the pure high priest, the one that is blameless and holy. This is who Jesus is. Now, in high school, I remember taking a math class, and it was taught by one of our coaches, which should tell you about the level of math class that I was in. (laughs) I didn't really like math all that much. And I remember one time being like, you know, why do I need to know this? I don't plan to, to use math in my life. And He gave me two responses, one which was good and one which was not so good, I would say. The one that was good is he said, look, everybody's learning this. Do you really want to be the one person that doesn't know this kind of stuff? And I was like, you know, I don't really want to be that much of an outlier, so sure, I'll learn it. The second thing he said, which was not so good was, and besides, when you get older, you're not going to be walking around with a calculator all the time. (laughs) So I'm old enough to have lived in a time that we did not walk around with a calculator all the time. But now we do, right? Everywhere you go, you have a calculator. But imagine if you went to lunch with someone this week. And you sat down, you said, how's it going? And they pulled out their pad of paper. And you're like, what's that for? And they said, you know, it's for my math, you know? (laughs) I just like to do it the old way, you know? I just really like to, to work on my math throughout the day. And so you would be like, you know, that's fine, but my calculator doesn't make a mistake. Sure, I could input it wrong, but it doesn't make a mistake. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, I'm sitting down with our fourth grader at home and he's working on some math. I'm like, let me help you. And I look at it and I say, you know, I wasn't in class, you know, you got, you got this. To be, to be clear, let me, let me be very clear. There are some things that we do in the old way that are good, that we really shouldn't give up. But there are other things that if you continue to do them that way, people would go, why are you doing that? Why don't you use the calculator that's right there? You probably have your phone in your hand anyways. I think what the writer wants to remind us of today is that some of us continue to do things the old way. We continue to do things by our own energy, by our own power, by our own effort. And I think he wants to say, look, the old way served us for a time, but there's a better way. There's a new way. Jesus has done it all for you. Jesus has paid your way. Jesus has done something that you could never do and you wouldn't even know to ask for. Go to Jesus. And if you reflect on your own life, you reflect on this past week, you probably realize that there are some things that you do and you continue to do it the old way. And the invitation is is to stop. It's to stop living under that pressure that you can maintain control, that you can do something that, that you can't do. To put the old ways down and instead to live into the new ways. Because Jesus, Jesus is your trailblazer. Jesus is your pioneer. He is the perfect sacrifice and he made it once for all time. And he continually brings you into the throne room of God, interceding on your behalf. Put down the old ways and live into the new ways. So there was this video going around last week on social media and it was shared with me and I, I really liked this video and it's I think it was at a college football game, but there was sitting uh, Brett Favre with his grandson. And I think he's around six years old. And he looks over at his granddad, Brett Favre, and he goes, how much do you think Tom Brady is worth? (laughs) And Brett just says, I don't know, probably a lot of money. And he says, yeah. And the six-year-old says, I think you're worth about (laughs) $35,000. And his grandfather just goes, yeah, that's about right. Can you imagine as he grows up, well, all the things he's going to learn about who his grandpa is. He'll see him on TV on those Levi's commercials, right? He'll, he'll learn about the, the time he won a Super Bowl and he won an MVP and all these kinds of things. And he'll start to realize he had this kind of wrong. But I love that answer, the innocence of a child that goes, it's about $35,000. It's as if I can't imagine anything greater or bigger than that. And I think a lot of times we're kind of like that child, that, that we stand before God and we say, God, how good is it? Is it $35,000 good? I think he, I know he's our loving father, and so he, you know, puts his hand on our shoulder, and says, yeah, it's that good. And as the, the more that we start to learn, we go, it, it's better than we can ever imagine. That what he has done for us, you, you can't even comprehend how good it is. The more that you grow in your faith, the more that you get to know Jesus, the more that you learn, man, this is better than I ever thought. The way that he loves us, the way that he cares for us, that he is for us, man, I can't, I'll never reach the ends of how good that is, how good Jesus is. So there's only a few ways we can respond to something that good. There's only a few things that you can do. And the first is, is what we do every single week here is we sing. We give our praise to him. Now, have you ever thought about with someone who knew nothing about church, what they might think about this gathering? There's a bunch of adults, young and old, getting in there, and they're just singing together. That might look a little strange, but we need this moment, don't we? We need the reminder. There are some weeks that I come in here and that I just don't have it, that I don't feel it. That's why I love to sing together, to see you give your all to God. To see you lift up praise to him. Sometimes when I don't have it, you're the one that carries me through. That you're the one that reminds me of what we're here for. We're giving our praise to him. And church, you're going to give your praise somewhere. It might as well be here. To the only one that's worth giving it to. This is why we give sacrificially. I mean, again, put yourself in the outsider's shoe. They might go, man, you give how much to who? Wow. Wow. I mean, you can look up articles about what it's like to plan for retirement if you're going to be a giving person, and yet we faithfully say, God, we know you'll do more with our 90% than I could ever do with my 100. So we give. It may not make sense, but it's the only thing that we know how to do in response to how good our God is, is we give back to him. This is why we live differently. We look like foreigners, alien, exiles in our world. That's what we do in response to a good father. He calls us to a holiness, to a righteousness, and so we live into that. That's why we love others. Our priorities have changed. We don't put ourselves first. That's the way of the world. We put other people first because that's what our pioneer did. If there was anyone who could be first, first firstborn over all creation, and he is the one that said, you know what? I will humbly and obediently Put everybody else before me. And so we follow after our Jesus. Church, this is a reminder of what he's done for you. This is a reminder about how you respond to that love. But it's also an invitation. See, there's only one choice to make. It's that you choose to follow him. He's cut the path for you. He has blazed that trail. And we have to follow him in that. So this series has been anchored in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to read this again as we close today. Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Today, as we close, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room, and we want to invite you to prayer. We know that there is a prayer need for everybody in here. And if one is more urgent, or you need someone to walk with you. We want to do that now. Because, again, I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what you woke up to today, but some of us in here are growing weary, that we're tired. And the call is to fix our eyes on him, the one who endured all things, just like you are now, the one that will show you how to live, will sustain that life. Fix our eyes on him. Because, church, the reminder is is that our Father is good. He's better than you can ever imagine. So as we close today, we join me in standing about Our good, good Father.